Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. There will probably be a good fit because they're asking the question, so they probably have a need. And what we do, we provide tremendous value because we're providing an investment that most likely will beat the heck out of whatever they're currently investing in. And it's passive with tax benefits. Before we get into today's episode, are you a fix and flipper who needs some money? Do you need to maybe do more deals and you're limited by the funds you have available? Well then, Fund That Flip, today's best ever sponsor, has a solution for you. And you know Fund That Flip, right? Your loyal best ever listener, the founder, Matt Rodak, he's been on the show multiple times, and they have been a previous sponsor, and they love working with the best ever listeners, and they provide short-term fix and flip loans to experienced investors. They've got an online platform, makes the entire process super easy, and you can get funded in as few as seven days. So if you're looking for a reliable funding partner, go to fundthatflip.com and mention that, well, you heard about it on the Best Ever Show. Best Ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. So let's see. Let's go ahead and dive right in. How should we approach it? So we've got our main topic today is about how to approach investor conversations before you have a deal, and that is based off a question we got from one of the listeners. Mm-hmm. Our name is Whitney, so I'll just go ahead and rattle off her, her full question first, and then we're going to go ahead and address it. So she goes, hello, Joe. Thank you for all the no-fluff content. I've seen your article on how to put together a presentation for investors. My question is, what does your initial contact with a prospective investor look like? I'll just pause there. And- initial contact with a prospective investor, well, it depends on how I'm getting in contact with them. If it's they're coming to me via online, then they go to investwithjoe.com. They fill out just a quick form, which is their name. Are they accredited? Are they looking to invest at least 50000 And then a little description about their background, anything relevant they want to say. And then I get that email, and then I follow up with them afterwards via email and basically we set up a time and I provide a document that has Ashcroft Capital's information which includes case studies, our approach, background, things like that. And then we jump on a call and we get to know each other. Now if they're not coming to me via the online form and if 
say I'm just meeting someone for the first mm-hmm. time, then I don't talk about my business, really, unless they're really inquisitive about it. I just get to know them, and I go wherever the conversation takes us. I don't have an agenda for talking about what I'm doing, and I want to build a relationship with them and stay in touch with them, but it won't be centered around my business, unless they're the ones who are really asking about it. Okay. So, you went on, I guess you kind of asked, is your elevator pitch to get them interested and then meet them another time? If so, what does that meeting look like? Do you get them interested in the deal that you do not have yet, especially if you do not have not done a syndication before? But I guess, what happens when you gain initial interest? So I know you're of the belief in your approach is to secure your investors before you actually find a deal, correct? Yes. I guess maybe you want to talk about that process. I think that might be what she's kind of pointing at. That's the question that's, is... Is your initial elevator pitch to get them interested and then meet another time? That's the thing. I don't have an elevator pitch. If someone were to ask me, what do you do? And we're at a party or something like that, then I'd say I buy apartment communities and I do a daily podcast on real estate investing. And that might not be the best approach. This isn't necessarily a best practice. I'm just telling you what I do because you're asking because I know there are ways to have that elevator pitch and say something like I help people get out of the rat race I hate that it sounds so cliche and a little sleazeball in my opinion but something like that so I help people make a better return than they're making in the stock market or Mm -hmm. something like that I just don't do that I don't have an elevator pitch all I say is I'm a real estate investor I buy apartment communities I also got a daily podcast and if they inquire more, then I elaborate more. If they don't, then I go where the conversation goes. The key, though, for what I do, and this is what, Whitney, I think you're getting at, is how do you continue that conversation? You continue the conversation by actually caring about what they're talking about and then having a common ground and continuing it in a genuine way. If you mm-hmm. actually care about what they're talking about, then you can. For example, I recently met with a local investor who filled out the form online And he happened to be also based in Cincinnati. We had dinner together. And I don't think he's a passive investor. Even though he said he was in the forum, I don't think he's a passive investor. He's an active investor. But he was a really interesting guy. And we're having a board game night Mm -hmm. here in a couple weeks. And you're coming with Marcella. And I invited him and his wife because... Why not? He's a really interesting guy. He's probably the most accomplished SEO person in the country. Just next level smart, and there's a lot of bullet points to support that. I won't go into it. But that's how I approach relationships. And it's not necessarily a transactional thing, because I don't think he's me investing in deals. It's just someone who I find interesting, and I grow that relationship, (laughs) and something will come out of it. I guarantee you something good will come out of it from... A relationship standpoint or a business standpoint or something. And by the way, he's not able to attend. He's going to the West Coast to hire a couple employees to bring on to his team over there. But we'll be hanging out again. So that's the approach I take. And as far as the conversation about meeting another time, then I would do that if you have a genuine interest in meeting with them about whatever they're most interested in. Now, again, if they ask questions about what you're doing, then absolutely tell them about what you're doing. And then there will probably be a good fit because they're asking the question, so they probably have a need. And what we do, we provide tremendous value. 
because we're providing an investment that most likely will beat the heck out of whatever they're currently investing mm-hmm. in, and it's passive with tax benefits. So we already have the best approach for helping them with their investment goals, but I don't force fit that into the conversation. If it comes up naturally, it does. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And the way we can do that, because this is playing a long-term game, the way we can do that is if we have a consistent online presence through a thought leadership platform. Mm-hmm. Because we can afford to play the long game because we're constantly getting our message out there and building relationships with people and more and more people get to know us. If you aren't playing the long game and you don't have a thought leadership platform, then you're going to be in trouble because then it's really transactional. People can get a sense of that. They're not being genuine with them. And it's just not going to work out. Yep. On that note, we just released a blog post about how to create a thought leadership platform. And not super in the details, but how to structure it, why you should create one, mm-hmm. and basically everything you just said, but yeah. more in a step-by-step fashion. So, again, you constantly talk about how important it is to have a thought leadership platform, especially for what you do, but for all investors in general. They can highly benefit from that. And if you want to read that blog post, I think it's called Guide to Creating a Thought Leadership Platform. You can include a link as well. I had a seven-minute conversation with someone yesterday or two days ago who went to investwithjoe.com, filled out the form. He's a doctor in New York, New Jersey. And it was so short because at the end, I said, well, are there any additional questions? Because I learned about him. And then I asked, hey, now what can I answer for you? He's like, well, I listen to you every day. So I got a pretty good sense of who you are and what your company is all about. So I'm good. I'm like, okay, cool. Mm -hmm. And that's the power of the thought leadership platform when you do it consistently over a long period of time. Because I guarantee you he wasn't listening two years ago when I had only 100 or however many episodes. Because no one was listening two years ago. Except for my family and my dog. Yeah, you weren't even listening two years ago. So when we do it consistently over a long period of time, that's whenever we see those results. And we get those types of responses when we're having initial conversations with people. I think one of the first things you told me during our first meeting at McDonald's was about your thought leadership platform. You said that at the time we spoke podcast, and what stuck with me is it was like, oh, it allows me to network while I'm asleep across the entire world. So I can talk to people. I'm talking to people when I'm sleeping. So I thought that was... Yeah, absolutely. I think our next topic kind of ties into this one because she was asking about how to get people interested in your deals in your business if you haven't done a syndication deal yet. And one of the answers is having an experienced team. And you were mentioning how you had a meetup this week and someone came in who was trying to do a big deal and you kind of takeaway from it was that if he would have partnered with the experienced broker, you might have been able to get the deals. Do you want to tell that story? Yeah. I host a monthly meetup in Cincinnati. And Cincinnati, for people who are geographically challenged, is not that close to Detroit, Michigan. It depends on how you look at it. It's certainly not walking distance. It's not a convenient drive either. How far is it drive-wise? Like four hours yeah, maybe? Yeah, four or five hours. Four or five hours. Okay, so it's, it's four or five hours away. So picture four or five hours away from wherever you live, and that's how far the distance is. Well... We had three people fly in from Detroit to attend the meetup, which is incredible. I love that. So I want to make sure I spent some time with them at the meetup because they came from so far away. And one of them, I've actually interviewed him on the podcast, a tremendously successful real estate investor who has had success in single families up to perhaps around a 50 or so unit somewhere within that range. And his question 
was how do I get traction in taking it to the next level? How do I get the next level deals, the 100 plus unit deals? And my answer, and this answer also goes to the question, how do you go from single families to the larger stuff? Well, the main challenge you're going to have is lack of credibility and experience. And that comes at you in multiple fronts. That comes at you from the investor front. People aren't going to invest with you if you don't have the credibility and the experience. But the lender front, the lenders aren't going to lend to you if you don't have that track record or experience. And just the overall finding the deal. The brokers aren't going to help you find the deal or won't be as motivated to help you find the deal if you don't have the track record and experience because what do brokers want? Brokers want the fastest closing at the highest price Mm -hmm. in the most assured way. So they want a guaranteed close as quickly as possible. And guaranteed close, quickly as possible, person who's never closed a deal and not sure if they have the money, hmm, let me think about that. Yeah, right, exactly. You go with someone else. So here's the solution to that, and that is aligning yourself with the people who do have that experience. And I'll give you some specific examples because Whitney is asking, how do you get people interested if you do not have a deal yet, especially if you haven't done a syndication before? Then this gentleman at the meetup was basically asking the same thing. Mm -hmm. Well, you partner with people who do have the experience. So here's some specific ways to do that. One is you can partner with the property management company that you're working with, and they can then bring their own money in the deal. And that shows that, hey, I might not have the experience, but this management company that manages 1,000 or 10,000 units and has done this before in this market, Mm -hmm. they like the deal so much that they're actually putting their own money in it. Another thing you can do is have that property management company not only put their money in it, but bring their investors' money in it. That adds another level of alignment and credibility to the deal so that when you're talking to your investors, you can say their management company's doing it, plus they're bringing their investors, they like it so much. So that's one way. We have done that. We did that starting out. We partnered with a management company on the first couple deals, and that allowed us to leverage their track record and also some of their investor base to then close on larger deals. We gave up equity, but so what? That's how you get started. So that's one way. Another way is to have a consultant who has experience and then have them as a board member on the deal. And that at least provides a somewhat level of comfort to the investors. Now, a savvy investor will say, yeah, he's a board member, but is he actually putting money in the deal? Or he or she, whoever you bring on. And if they're not, then they're not. They're just another level of guidance, and you'll have to be transparent with them about that. And then the third way, and this goes to the meetup guy and that story you were referencing, brokers. What I did on my very first syndication is that I had the brokers put in their commission into the deal to invest alongside with us. And that showed alignment of interest. And that allowed me, who had four single-family homes as my experience, to then talk to my investors and say, I know I've got those four single-family homes and that's it, but we've got the brokers who have 80 or so years experience combined they're putting their commission into the deal. They like it so much, and they're investing alongside with us. 
So somewhere in this equation, you've got to have alignment of interest and ideally in multiple points. And the story that you were referencing with the gentleman who attended the meetup, he said he had just lost out on a deal, but he was right there in the purchase price, but he lost out on it. And after I told him about the broker story, he's like, oh man, you, you know what? I said, what? He said, the broker who was representing the seller, he told me multiple times, man, I want to start doing what you're doing once I get some of these commissions, once I have some money. I really yeah. want to get involved in this stuff. And the guy I'm talking to was like, oh, <laughs> if I would have just suggested, well, how about you partner with us? You put in some of your commission. Now that would be all of it. Some of your commission to deal. I'll bring you in on the GP side if we get awarded this deal. Do you think that would have increased his chances of getting that? Uh, to- yeah. Uh, totally. 100%. Yeah, 100% <clears throat> would have increased his chances. And he probably would have gotten it. Hell, I don't know. He might not have. But it would have increased his chances. So those are ways to show your investors, the lenders, and brokers that you are bringing an experienced team to the table, even though you might not have that experience. It's just as simple as knowing that and then just having that conversation with the broker or the property management company. And yeah. That's all it is. Just ask them, would you consider doing this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And worst case, if I'm starting out, worst case, if the management company's like, no, I'm not going to invest my own money. And I'm also not going to bring in our investors. You don't have any experience. Why would I do that? If they say that, assuming that they're the right management company that I really like, I'm going to give them some equity. I don't care. I just want that talking point. I want the talking point to investors. I want that alignment of interest. I still give them some equity. And that way, I force the alignment. Whether they want to align or not, I still force it. And I believe by giving them some equity, they're still going to be more motivated and aligned with us than if they were just feed-based. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like you got to kind of just put your own hand, you got to just do what you got to do to get that first deal under your belt. So you can use that as your talking point moving forward. If you got to give away equity, if you got to bring on other partners, if you don't want to bring on or whatever it is. So yeah, that's good advice. Awesome. So let's move on to some updates. So you got any updates or observation from your business for the past week? I think that was the observation. We're closing on our deal next Wednesday, December the 6th is when we're scheduled to close. So that's going to be a big milestone. That will be the largest, from a purchase price standpoint, deal that we've done. And that's been the main focus. So once you close on that deal, how many deals is that this year? That will be six. Wow. And before this year, how many deals have you done? Before this year, that would be seven. Okay, so you basically doubled your portfolio in one year. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So for me, again, not many updates either. I think I mentioned this last week, but I finally got the operating agreement from the attorney to put all the properties into individual LLCs, and so I'm working on that process and setting up individual bank accounts and going to sign that here and then probably have that go live, so to speak, in January. Just Because so, I've been putting all the money in one bank account this year, so I'm not make 2017 taxes knowing from my tax guy. I'm just going to continue doing this throughout the end of the year and then starting January 1, start putting them into individual bank accounts. And something else, how um, three? I guess three. three yeah, three. Okay. same bank, but just different accounts within the same yeah, bank that yeah. we can log into one and exactly uh, log into one. All three will be there. And uh, unfortunately for me, I kind of just well, whenever I have an expense, I just have a little spreadsheet. So I just log it in there. I say what it was, what building it was for. So I already have all that tracked mm-hmm. already. So it won't be. It's not like I'll introduce a whole new system of tracking. It's just the only difference would be. I'll have three different checkbooks. Mm-hmm. I'll have three different bank accounts to look at instead of one. 
Just from a very minor logistical thing, what bank do you use? PNC. PNC. Do they allow you to use one login to then look at multiple accounts? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Some yeah. of them don't. Fifth Third doesn't. Okay. But Chase does. I've found this out the hard way. Sometimes. Yeah. So since you already got that covered, then you're good. That'd be tough. It's annoying. Login. Yeah, it's just annoying having three separate logins for one bank, but you're good then. Cool. Yeah, and then, and then there's one other thing that we definitely talk about in more detail next week, but I'm considering putting my properties under a management company. And I was just mentioning beforehand how I'm really glad, or I guess the point is that I think it's really important that when you underwrite your deal initially, even if you plan on managing it yourself, I know yeah. everyone says this, but I'm just reiterating it for myself, is that you have to put in that property management percentage, whatever it's going to be, just in case you end up putting them under a management company at some point. Or even if you plan on managing them for five years, at some point you are probably going to put them under a management company. Your goal is to you know, have financial freedom or whatever it is. And so it's important to do that because I kind of just like went back to my cash flow calculator and deleted that number and I looked at like what the return was and I've been very disappointed if I didn't do that beforehand. So I'm like, oh, this is like the best deal on the planet, mm-hmm. a like, huge return. And then, oh man, now I'm putting them under a management company and now that return is all going to be gone. What are you factoring in to pay them to manage 12 units? I put in 10%. That's healthy. Yeah, I think it's going to be lower than that because the guy that I would consider using, he said it's between 6 and 8%. But I put in 10% just because, again, I like to be very conservative, especially now with that I've seen some of the maintenance issues that come with these older properties that we'll be buying. Mm-hmm. You want to just keep as much room as possible. Mm-hmm. So, How did you find the guy that you're looking to bring on as management? How did I find him? Is it just a guy and his dog and truck, or is it no, a company? It's a company. He just started this company. I think you know who he is. I think he goes through Meetup. Now, I think it's just through Bigger Pockets. Okay, just got it. Reached out through Bigger Pockets. We've gotten coffee a couple times. He invests in the area. I think he's got 12 units in Oakley and in, in Pleasant Ridge. And he just started a management company maybe two years ago. And I got lunch with him maybe six months ago when I was just picking his brain. I wanted to know exactly what he did. Mm-hmm. Just so when I wanted to use him, I would be like, oh, I know exactly what he does and how the process works. And so I'm going to call him actually when I leave here. I was like looking up his number before I came in. And I'll give him a call and see if there's something he'd be interested in doing. Good stuff. Nice. Well, moving from working... In your business versus on your business, right? Yeah, I was thinking about it a lot because obviously 8% of your rent for this specific property drops the cash-on-cash return by about 3 or 4%. Mm-hmm. From what to what? From 16 to 12. Okay. And I was thinking, I'm just like, okay, so I continue to manage it myself. Not only how much time am I spending doing it. Emotional but energy. But how, like, how much emotional energy am I putting towards? Like, I think I mentioned last week, like, whenever my phone rings, or yeah. my phone buzzes, I'm just like, uh-oh, something happened, I gotta go over there. And it kind of just, like, throws a wrench in your day. I know my personality type, and it's like, I'm very, like, routine. And if something comes in that is unexpected, I don't say I get, like, I get flustered, but it changes up my entire day. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, no, like, here we go. And so I think that now by, as you said, working kind of outside the business. I can focus more on finding deals. And I enjoy the finding deals. I enjoy the closing process, the inspection process. I didn't really like the day-to-day management of it. And so if I can outsource that, you know, obviously lose a little bit of return, but gain all that extra emotional energy and, and have motivation to look for deals. And once I do all the part that I like, I can just pass it on to the property management company. Obviously, you know, check in with them continuously. But I think from a long-term perspective, Obviously, that's going to be more manageable because there's, I don't think it's going to be possible for me to, once I have 24 units or 100 units, for me to do what I'm doing now. 
So might as well put a systems in early on so I agree. I know, you know what return I'm going to get, how the process works, instead of doing it way later on down the road. Mm-hmm. Yes, 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 yes. I love that. I can tell whenever we talk about it, but look in your eye, you're just like, he's going to do this eventually. <laughs> <laughs> well, well you, you said when the phone rings, you get a bad feeling. Sometimes that's a good thing when something triggers you. It's like, oh, no, because now it's pushing you to make things happen and change it. Yeah. It reminds me of when Tony Robbins in his early days had a conference and it was right next to train tracks and they'd be in the middle of something and then he'd hear the train go choo-choo and it would just interrupt everything and people getting pissed about it. And he's like, well, we can't change the train. In this case, you can change and you change it. But in some cases, if something's happening, you just can't change it at the time. It's repositioning in your mind to then be a good thing. So what he did is he said, you know what, everyone? We're going to celebrate every time (laughs) we hear this train go choo-choo. And that's what they did. And that's one of the things that leads power then. They do a train whistle, and then you just celebrate for no good reason. It reminded me also of we have in my house right now our freezer. It makes this weird whistle thing, and the fan's going out. And we've had a guy come out and look at it, and he replaced the fan, and now it's whistling twice as much. It's like, just an annoying thing. And my knuckle, you might see it. When it whistles, how you stop is you have to actually punch it, and then it stops. So I got a little bloody knuckle because it got me more than I got it. (laughs) But now what I do, and by the way, there's a guy here again to fix it today, and apparently they're replacing the fan, no cost, because the other one didn't work, obviously. But now what I do when it whistles, after I go and punch it and it stops whistling, I then go kiss Colleen. So now every time it whistles, we get excited because I punch it, but then I go kiss her, and now it's a good thing. But before, we were totally annoyed by it. So just changing your mind. But in some cases... It's good not to do the positive association because then it forces you to action. Yeah, that's a great idea. And you can implement for that for anything. You said punching your freezer because that can't really change any kind of annoying thing. I need to start doing that for, I mean, this is way off topic, but for um, our dog. Mm-hmm. When the dog like barks or whines, like, it's so annoying. Yeah. But now whenever it whines, I'll just go kiss Marcella. Go kiss Marcella. Or, go kiss Marcella. <laughs> if he's at home, I'll go to a mirror and like, kiss myself. Or something. <laughs> I love it. Good stuff. All right, a couple other things. You did a pretty big interview with Tony. Tony Shea, the Zappos CEO. Yes, and lessons learned there for me, a couple of them, and this is more on like behind-the-scenes type mm-hmm. of stuff. One is, I don't know if we're going to be able to use that episode, and the reason why is because there was some beeping sound that was happening, and he heard it and I heard mm-hmm. it, and there's something with his microphone. I'm not sure what. Hopefully our audio guys will be able to clean that up. I'm not sure. But hopefully they do. So I guess the lesson is don't be self-conscious about big-time person not wanting to reschedule with you because I didn't want to stop it. I told him, I was like, hey, you hear that? He's like, yeah, I hear it too. Normally with 99% of the guests, I'd be like, okay, we need to stop and maybe call back in. If that doesn't work, we'll reschedule. But with him, I was so worried about not being able to get on the phone with him again. He just five years ago invested $350 million in redeveloping downtown Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. This is a big-time guy. And so I didn't stop the conversation. I should have. Hopefully the audio guys can fix it. So I guess the takeaway is have more confidence in people wanting to talk to you. But the second thing is that we got a record number of questions submitted from Best Ever Listeners mm-hmm. for Tony. And by the way, Best Ever Listeners, if you want to know where to do that for future guests, 
join the best ever Facebook community. That's where we post about that stuff. No way could I have asked all of them, but in the reply, in our reply to each of those people, we said, we're on it. We got your question. So we overpromised, and from a Q&A standpoint, I didn't get to ask all the questions because there's no way I could have and still had a actual conversation with them. It would have just been way too mechanical. Yeah. So the lesson I took away from that is don't overpromise with people and not be able to deliver. So what I did is I identified the questions that could easily be found in articles on previous interviews, and we're just going to link to those for the people who ask those types of questions, and the other ones I pretty much got to the ones that weren't easily Googleable. So yeah, he's a super next-level smart guy, computer science major, went to Harvard, and venture capitalists, all sorts of things. And it was a great conversation. We'll see how, from an audio standpoint, it turned out. Yeah. I kind of mentioned this, but I wanted to reiterate again. It's called the Best Ever Show Community. You just search that on Facebook and join that. That's uh, those videos there, the blogs, and then it's mostly just a, a community of, of real estate investors who are just getting to know each other. And definitely go and join that. And as Joe said, when we have exclusive interviews coming up, uh, that's where you can ask any question you want to these Exclusive guests. Perhaps. We'll select from some. Yeah. yeah, we'll select from some. And then make sure you guys go to besteverconference.com. Secure your ticket for that. It's coming up in February in Denver, Colorado, second annual. And then as usual, we're going to do our review of the week. So make sure you go on iTunes and subscribe and then leave a review for your opportunity to have a shout out. This week we've got a Capital Impact. And he says, I actually found Joe through another podcast I listened to. That was another podcast on multi-family syndication. Joe gives great advice and help to the startup investor. Help to the startup investor. Sweet. Well, thank you, sir, or ma'am. I don't know if you're a sir or ma'am. Thank you for that. And appreciate the reviews, as I've mentioned before. That helps us get better quality guests because they see the reviews in iTunes, and it helps overall quality of the show. Well, thanks, everyone. I hope you have a best-ever day, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. You want to get better at negotiating real estate? Well, how about, do you want to get better at negotiating real estate for free? Even better, right? Well, go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Fund That Flip, today's sponsor, has partnered with best-selling author Jay Scott to provide you with a free chapter from Jay's new book on negotiating real estate. I've read the book. Lots of good real-world case studies sprinkled in there, too. I love it when they do that. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever to download your free copy of the chapter today. Are you ready to close more deals and officially seal your financial freedom? The Dwellin' Show with Ola Dantis discloses the most innovative real estate investing strategies to kickstart your quest to financial freedom. Go listen at com forward slash show. That's D-W-E-L-L-Y-N-N dot com forward slash show.